Welcome to Fresh Takes on the Future of Work. We're focused on fresh perspectives from business and HR leaders about the future of work. Fresh is an acronym for freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness. Values core to operating in the future of work. We'll tie back to these while exploring interesting stories and actionable ideas. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jess Pagoni. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm the co-founder and CEO of Luna, a team operating system for the modern employer, redefining connection and productivity through web-based personal operating profiles combined with AI dashboards. Rashad Tabakawala is an author, speaker, teacher, and advisor with four decades of experience specializing in helping people, organizations, and teams reinvent themselves to remain relevant in changing times. He specializes in unleashing talent and turbocharging productivity by delivering perspectives, points of view, provocations, and plans of action, but no PowerPoints. That's a lot of peas there, Rashad. Rashad's best-selling book, Restoring the Soul of Business, Dang Human in the Age of Data, was published globally by HarperCollins and focuses on helping people think, feel, and see differently about how to grow their companies, their teams, and themselves in transformative times. The Economist magazine called it perhaps the best recent book on stakeholder capitalism, and Strategy magazine named it among the five best business books and the marketing book of the year. Rashad's weekly thought letter, The Future Does Not Fit in the Containers of the Past, is read by over 25,000 leaders every week across industries and around the world. Among the laundry list of things that Rashad does, he is also an advisor to many businesses, including the global organization Publicis, where he was the former head of strategy and growth at Publicis, a giant company notable in their practices around the future of work as well. Rashad, thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me, Jess. It's great to be here. Before we dive in, can you tell all of us a little bit more about you and your work? How did you come to be in the positions you are now, in the rooms you are now? We'd love to hear that story. Sure. So very simply, I grew up in India, came to the University of Chicago for an MBA, got a single job after I graduated with an ad agency called Leo Burnett. This was 1982. And I thought I'd stay there for a few years, learn about American culture, get my green card, and then figure out what came next. I stayed in the same company or companies that that company merged into or got bought by for my entire 37-year working career. And three years ago, I began a second career, which also includes advising the company I spent 37 years in, where I became a writer, speaker, and advisor. And really, those 37 years, the last time my business card said Leo Burnett was 1996. So between 1996 and 2019, when I stepped down, which is basically 26 years, those 26 years, I worked across 10 different companies from companies like Digitas and Razorfish, and of course, Publicis, and companies like Starcom and MediaVest. So I've had multiple careers in one, 
It's sort of like the infamous line from a Walt Whitman poem, I incorporate multitudes. <laughs> I love that. And how incredible that you got to stay working technically for the same organization, but got to see so much transformation over those 37 years. I think that clearly speaks to your ability to advise others on it and speak about it today. I think we're probably ready to dive in. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, it is time to get fresh. Rashad, how do you define the future of work? So I define the future of work in ways that are very aligned with the words that the letters of fresh stand for. And particularly, I would say if there is Two, it's the first and the last, which is the flexibility and age is the happy or happiness. So I believe that sooner or later, a person is successful when they can get to spend time doing the things that gives them joy. And because regardless of whether we get paid for it or don't get paid for it, a large part of a human being's identity, community, well-being, and in many cases, source of income, tends to be their work. That work could be a job, it could be a craft, it could be a calling, it could be whatever. And what I've discovered is people who love doing that or are in a state of flow doing that are ones who are both intensely happy, and therefore they are partly happy because to thrive, you have to flourish at what you're good at. You can't thrive by being flourishing at what you don't like. You can't flourish at what you don't like. But in order to achieve that, both over time and at a particular time, you have to have two degrees of flexibility. One is you have to be flexible both about how you do things, what you learn, and what your expectations are. And you have to also have an organization that is flexible to your state of mind, your needs, and where you are at that stage in your life. So it's a dual flexibility. And when companies and work allow that flexibility, and that flexibility might be everything from where you work, what you do, how long you work, who you work for, then in many ways you are happy. And when you are happy and you are thriving, the shareholders are happy, the other employees are happy, your bosses are employed, and other employees are happy. Incredibly well said. Now, you are the second guest on the Fresh Take show that has tried to change the F from freedom to flexibility, but it's sort of all packed into that concept of freedom. So, for instance, freedom actually is a better word than flexibility because of two reasons. One is flexibility is incorporated into freedom, but there's another part of flexibility in the word freedom that flexibility does not have, and that is the ability to be free to be you. And increasingly, what people are asking is not only give me the flexibility to work where I want, how I want, with whom I want, and what I do, but I want to make sure that my job is something that fits into the story of my life versus I fit into the story of my company's life. And that freedom, therefore, is extremely important. So I intertwine freedom and flexibility, which I just did, but I do believe that freedom is a better word. So keep it the way you have. Okay. Thank you. I do appreciate that. All right, so if I could present you with a magic wand right now, and you can personally change any one thing about work life today, what would it be? What would you choose? I would say the single biggest thing that I would choose about changing work life is basically thinking about 
that every W of what work is. So it's actually, I'm going to give you five things I would change and pretend that it's one thing because you, I'm going to use the word W. And the word W is as following. I believe that I would change every company's belief on where work needs to be done. And I believe that it can be done at a combination of four places, one of which I call the office or the museum. One is the home, but one or third places, whether they be WeWorks or Starbucks or places like that. And finally, at places which are events and experiential, you know, whether it's South by Southwest or a university campus. And to think that work is highly related to either just the office or the office of the home, the where is much wider. The other, obviously, is when. The third is really, to a great extent, which hours of the day. You should be able to pretty much decide that, you know, great thing. But also, which number of hours of your life. And one of the things I'm suggesting to people is why can't an employee be an employee with all benefits, healthcare, stock vesting, equity grants, but be given the choice like they do with healthcare to work 50, 75, 100% of their time that year. And so reimagining that. So it's not like my basic belief is, you know, the, as you mentioned that my substack, which is very popular, is called the future does not fit in the containers of the past. So I believe the way most people have a going in thought to work is they define it in containers. And my basic belief is don't define the container, define the thing itself, which is far more fluid. So you don't basically describe water by whether it's in a bottle, a jug, or a box. You try to describe water. But most people, if you think about work, they describe the box it is in and not the thing it is. That is so well put. I have not heard it described in quite that way before. So thank you for doing that. And I have a feeling our listeners are going to appreciate that. I also, you know, core to what we do with Luna is giving people choice around how and where they want to work, how they want to learn and grow, and really their preferences about work. And so this concept of why can't you work a 50% schedule for the next year? And then maybe after that, you go back to 100. Like perhaps there was a circumstance or a scenario that's driving or requiring you to reduce your hours so to 50% or 80%. And I, I, I do really think people, companies today are hesitant to go there because then it's like, well, where does the work go? And how do we modularize the jobs themselves so that that can happen? So there's work to be done. We, need, we all need to hire you to help us figure out how that can really work. But I'm curious of anything else you've seen there, or maybe even companies that are starting to do this. So more and more companies are thinking about it. And one of the accelerants to thinking about it has been the fact they began to realize that a lot of people could work from anywhere because of COVID. And so one of the reasons for that 100% was physical spaces, but now that's less important. But there were three other things that have happened over COVID and that some senior managers increasingly, and most senior managers are very smart. And I work with a lot of them. And basically, you know, when people think that they don't get it, they do. It's just that they sometimes don't see the entire picture. And when you tell them the entire picture, they say, okay, I've got to think about it this way. So the two other things besides where you work that changed because of COVID is 25% of all the people in the United States have another job, even if they have a full-time job. Now, there are two reasons that they have this other job. 
One, often it is to make ends meet, right? This might be, I need to sub here, I need to drive an Uber, I need to do something. So that's one reason. The other is they feel complete when they do both jobs. That one job scratches certain needs, the other job scratches other needs. But the third is, if you ask them, they say, we would love to find a way where we can do this in the open versus hiding, hiding. Now, other people basically say, I want to get 100% of my compensation. I only work 75%. I use the other 25% to do my other thing. So I win in both worlds. I don't really think one wins in both worlds unless the key factor there happens to be compensation. Because when you do the other 25% Heidi Heidi, you don't actually build craft. You can't tell people about it. You can't plan your work around it. You can't be serious about it. Because it's like, obviously, you don't have to be very serious about being an Uber driver. But even if you tend to say, okay, for 25% of my time, I plan to basically work at the library or I plan to basically work in a restaurant. You can't tell the restaurant, I won't show up at a particular time, which means that's one particular time. One of your two companies are going to say, how come you're not here? And you can't forever fake it that someone is here. And then you use credibility and trust. And one of the key things I'm trying to remind people is credibility and trust and openness is very critical for not only how a company perceives you, but how happy you are at your job. I've never found someone happy at their job when they find that they have no trust and credibility with their bosses or their colleagues. Yes, that's an incredible point. It all starts with trust. And when people feel like they need to hide, that is almost like immediately eroded. And and I tell you, it can be done at every level. It can be done at different levels of the organization and pretty much by everybody, because in some cases, you can actually split jobs between two people who want the job 50% of the time. But as importantly, like in my particular case, the final year I worked at Publicis as an employee. Now I still work a lot with Publicis, but not as an employee, but like as a senior advisor. But I was worked as an employee. The last year I went to 50% of my time. Now I knew exactly what I was doing and I knew exactly what the downsides and the upsides of that were. The overall downside, potentially, but it was part of my transition, was I'd earned 50% as much as I did the year before. Okay, that's fine. But the other one, which I knew, eyes wide open, that I would end up working 70 to 80% of my time and get paid 50% for that year. But for me, it was worth it for two very important reasons. So you have to basically decide. One is I wanted to make sure that I had a transition plan so I could start explaining to all the people around me why I wasn't showing up every day. And I couldn't say, well, I'm not showing up because I've decided I'm about to transition over the next few years into a different career, one of which includes writing a book and I'm serious about it. A company has given me an advance. I have to write it professionally. And I can't do it like in an hour here or an hour there. But to do that, I had to tell people I'm going to show up some days unless there's a critical client meeting or an emergency. I wasn't overt about it. They'd basically say, why isn't he showing up? Or if I was doing it suspiciously on the side, they say, look at this clown. He gets away by being paid for 100%, but he only checks in 60, 70% of the time. How did this happen? So there isn't a free lunch. So a lot of people basically say, you know, we'll do this on the side. You can do it a little bit, but you can't do it in the long run because sooner or later, either one of your two gigs will give or you will give because you start stretching yourself too much. You know, everybody basically believes they're super people. I don't think that's possible. No, no. And, you know, I think that what you're really hitting on, the word I talk a lot about is permission. 
And there's no real price tag for that because when you know you have permission to be operating at 50%, you know, maybe you'll give a little more than that one week or a little less than that another week. You're at least, again, transparently saying, like, this is the expectation of me. So I have permission to be spending the other 50% of my time doing something else. Yes, exactly. And also, and I'm flexible at the free because I have freedom. I also have the flexibility. There were times where I was basically said, okay, this week you have to be here all five days. I had a thing where I said, I'm not coming in on Mondays and Fridays. But they say, well, this Monday we have a big board meeting and Friday we've got those one, you know, something. So I said, okay, I'll come in Monday and Friday. But then the following week I might not have come in three days. But if there wasn't anything like, what's he doing? Does he have some illness? Is he not going, is he going to the hospital during those days? Nothing of that, right? I mean, people would always say like, oh, he's mentally ill all the time. So it's not like he's half the time stupid. But, you know, that's the whole thing. Yeah. You know what? I also think super smart on behalf of Publicis for agreeing to that. They got another year of you at 50% in the organization where you were able to transition your knowledge, mentor others. And, you know, I, I do think the all or nothing mentality, especially as our most senior talent is retiring out of organizations, is something that really does need to change because we're losing mentors. We're losing access to that thought leadership that otherwise may stick around a little longer if they had the ability to reduce from 100% to something else. It absolutely is. Also, there's something else, which is for more and more people, for more and more companies, because of a little, two little numbers that people are probably not paying enough attention to. So we're paying a lot of attention to the impact that Gen Z is having or millennials are having, both of which are real and we need to pay attention to. But those two changes are much easier for companies to adjust to because often it's these people have mindsets that might be a little bit more wanting to be, let's say, an entrepreneur, more sort of interested in sometimes a form of frugality, sometimes more interested in authenticity versus aspiration, so you can adjust that. But the biggest shift isn't that, even though those are so seismic. The biggest shift is the declining and aging of the United States population. So the U.S. is about to go into population decline. It's, we've already had population flat. Last year, we grew by a million people, smallest growth ever. Last 10 years in the census, we've grown by, I think, 7 million people, which is the smallest growth over a census, or 11 million, whatever, the smallest growth. And if you look around the world, actually, many countries have gone into population decline. So one, you've got population decline. Second is, there are more people over 65 today in the United States with 10,000 people turning 65 every day than under five years old. A country like China has more people over 65 than the entire population of the United States. And the third is because of better healthcare. In most cases, these people are going to live longer because of a whole kinds of financial things. They Most of them are going to have to want to work longer. So I live longer, I work longer. COVID has says that I'm perfectly capable of changing my behavior. So I'm not like some funny daddy who can't change my behavior. You take those three and you combine with the fact you're not going to have enough employees and you want to manage your costs and here you can have world-class employees you can dial down from it's a 100 to zero, from 100 to 50 or 125. It's amazing what you can do. You make it sound quite simple. I don't know. It seems challenging inside a lot of these organizations. The reason it's challenging is because of two reasons. One is it's challenging because they think they're doing you a favor. And my basic belief is, yes, you are offering me a form of freedom, but you're not doing just me a favor. You're making sure that you retain world-class talent, you access talent, you mentor, you can manage your costs. Those are the favors that you are getting by doing this favor, supposedly, for me. 
And so what happens is, what I've figured out is no organization and no individual is going to do something unless they benefit. So you always have to have these wins or triple win things. But their benefits and your benefits sometimes are different, but both of you will still benefit. And so the whole idea is how that, that works. Which is why, you know, what you are developing at Luna is very important because I truly believe, like here's a very simple number. The basic belief is right now, 28% of America's workforce is in some form of freelance or variable work versus being full-time work. And it's likely to be by the next 10 years, a majority of people working at a company will not be working more than 50%. Wait, hold on. Say that again. In how many years? In less than a decade, if you go to any company and say, tell us how many employees you have, right? They'll say X number. How many of those 100% full-time employees of your company? Or one hundred? You don't count someone who isn't a fractional worker, a freelancer, an advisor, someone who does special gigs. So that number will be more than half of the total workers. So the future company will be the what will be the outlier will be the person with a hundred percent job. Now that doesn't mean that the person isn't working a hundred percent of their time, but they may decide to split it up into a fifty and fifty percent job, or fifty, twenty-five percent, twenty-five percent go back to school or learn fishing or something of the sort. That's number one. The second is because of the significant difference, not only in demographics from ages, there'll be seven generations working in a, you could basically have someone who is 18 years old and someone who's 80 in the same company. How cool is that, by the way? That is cool. Right? And so they have different lifestyle needs, type of work, et cetera. And at the same time, we talk about the diversity of the United States and the diversity isn't just the diversity of color and ethnicity and background but of needs and wants. So one size is not going to fit all. Oh, well, you're speaking Luna's language now, Rashad. This is what we preach every day, of course. But this is coming much faster, much deeper, and much greater. And COVID accelerated it and showed in many ways that this, the future is here because it forced everybody to go for two years into this grand experiment, and which is one of the reasons why I advise a lot of companies and say, don't even dare think about going back to December 2019. There's no going back to 100% in the office. All that model made no sense. In my book, which came out in January of 2020, and therefore was written before COVID happened, my second chapter is how do you manage distributed workforces? Because I basically said, listen, in 2019, we were working like the technology and the world was operating in 1980. It wasn't. We were in 2019, which COVID proved. The fact that the whole world could go to no loss in productivity without being in the office proved. That that was a stupid model, 100% of the office. It proved. So when CEOs say that, I said, I will prove with data that you are the person who's wrong. Yes. Amazing. I love the energy so much. I'm going to jump to our next question, which is of the FRESH acronym. And you, you probably alluded to this a little bit in our first question. But so freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness. Which do you think is most pressing as we look to the future and think about the evolving employer-employee dynamic, which one do you think is like just the priority at the moment? I would say that right now, at the current time, the priority is freedom because it has that flexibility and this whole thing about where do I work, how do I work, all of that is particularly, right? And obviously in the long run and forever, you're doing it for something, which is the happiness. But the one that I basically believe that we underestimate And, you know, when people sort of say, okay, 
do you have any superpowers and what is your superpower? I said, I don't know, but if I actually do have a superpower, it may be useless in most battles, but there is one. And that basically is my ability to simplify without dumbing down. And in a world where we are basically filled with so much data, so much information, so much change, if you can't simplify your way you're communicating, what you're trying to do, what's happening in a company, simplify. So what happens is there could be 25 choices, but you need a roadmap or you need software to show you what those choices are and help you select versus select, right? So to give you an idea. Most people spend 20 minutes a day looking at their stupid Netflix screen trying to decide what to see. Because you have two things. There's too many, and then there's, okay, if I click this, I don't have this. So it's a combination of the difficulty in the life is choice, and there are too many choices, and fear of missing out. I chose the wrong thing. As a result, most people choose one of two things. What the algorithm tells them to do, so what they show up next, or what is the most popular. And as a result, one of the things that are most popular tends to be the one that either are the dumbest or the most intensely weird. Not the best. So I have tried watching it one way and I've tried watching it another way and I've tried to watch a way where I said, okay, this is what I'm trying to find, right? A third way. Eventually I found that the wisdom of the crowds was the worst way. The algorithm was pretty good. Me deciding that I was going to follow it based on, I already knew before I came to Netflix what I wanted to watch. I just came there to see if it was there or I had been coming there. A combination of what I want to watch plus the algorithm, which is man plus machine, is the very best. The wisdom of crowds is the very worst. But almost everything we do today, including algorithmically, including all the social media feeds, is not only what bleeds leads, what stupid bleeds. It was like basically extreme links. And my whole stuff is we have to make sure that one way through it is the simplicity. And that is a thing that, you know, like I get read a lot and I do no advertising besides putting my thing in LinkedIn. And I think the reason I get read a lot is because I keep it very simple. It's six minutes. You're a five or six points. You can use it. Thank you very much. I don't write, you know, a philosophical treatise on different things. I don't try to lengthen it because I've got ads to fill. There's no ads, so I don't have to have length. I don't have to have spicy headlines because my stuff is 100% subscribed in, so I don't have to like basically get someone to click on it. And when you don't have that, you do that. And the same thing happens in the world of business. If you can just keep it simple, it lowers confusion and it gets people the ability to focus. Yeah. And focus seems so hard these days. You know, Again, with all the different competing channels and feeds and information that we have access to. All right, we're going with simplicity and freedom are the priorities now. So for leaders, people who are leading teams of people, the world has sort of evolved and changed in a number of different ways over the last few years with that acceleration happening as well. What advice would you have for people leaders that are trying to figure out how to lead better or differently in a more distributed working world and in this quote-unquote future of work? What advice would you share? So I believe that I recently wrote on what I call the six keys to leadership. And I wrote it by basically saying these keys are true regardless of what industry you work in, whether your industry is fully distributed 100% full-time 
regardless of what country it is and regardless of whether you have anyone reporting to you or not. Because the first mistake that people believe is leader is the same as boss. Not true. A boss is not a leader. And to be a leader, you don't require people to follow you. Because a boss is a title. A leader is a role. People are forced to listen to bosses. People follow leaders. And the six traits of leaders, one of them is facing reality and facing the facts, which is the world changes, you change. So part of it is say you've got a different workforce wanting something different, get used to it. That's number one. The second one is great leaders build leaders. But the two that are the most important to me is third is a learning mindset. So leaders are constantly learning. And the other one is that leaders have a quest for excellence. You can't be a leader unless you aim to be ex- excellent, excellent in craft, try to deliver excellent results, excellent relationships with your consumers or your clients. You need excellence and you need a growth mindset, which is you're constantly learning. And part of your learning is you make an environment where people can basically tell you that you're full of shit. It's a chapter in my book called The Turd on the Table. If you can't create an environment where people can call out that the thing that's a brown and moist on the table is not a brownie, but a piece of shit, you can't be a leader. Then none of those have got anything to do with where someone works. And so my basic belief is Become a great leader and you'll find that the solution of where people work gets solved for. Try to solve for the where people work. It's not going to help you. It's great advice. And I, and I think that difference between a boss and a leader is absolutely distinct. And it's a mindset, too. You have to want to be a leader versus wanting to be a boss. So good advice there. We'll have to link to your newsletter about this. Yes. And there's a specific article. Yes. Called Sig- it's this, I just wrote it. In fact, uh, it's this week's beast, which is on leadership. It's called. Perfect. So final question for you is, what is one company you admire for their fresh take? There are two companies I admire for their fresh take. I'll give you three for three different reasons, but very fast. One is Domino's Pizza. Domino's Pizza, which reinvented what pizza was. by basically, you know, if you had invested in Domino's Pizza 10 years ago, you'd have done better than if you'd invested in Apple or Google or Facebook because they rethought pizza from basically improving their pizza, but also recognizing giving people control of how they got their pizza and the logistics of pizza would make them succeed, which they did. The second is Microsoft, where the fresh take was Satya Nadella came over and said, we're going to go from a know-it-all mindset to a learning mindset. We're going to get rid of the Windows operating division. We're going to be friendly with outside people like Linux by buying GitHub. And we're going to basically stop thinking about software as a package and put everything on the cloud. And the third is a company that reinvented where and how people work for a long time. It's a company called Automatic, which owns things like the WordPress, where they're more than 1,500 employees. They've never had a permanent office, but they have an amazing culture because what they do is every team gets together for one week every quarter in a location of their choice where they interact, create, learn, and get people to speak to them. And as a company, they get together once a year. And so what basically happens is the answers are in the front of your eyes, but you have to decide you want to see them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for all three of those. That final statement, the answers are in front of your eyes, but you have to decide you want to see them is a super powerful. Did you just make that up right here, Rashad? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Oh, my goodness. Well, I can't wait to dig into some of the fresh ideas and fresh takes that you just shared about those three organizations. And have so appreciated having your perspective on the show here today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. 
Thank you very much, and congratulations on your new, you know, next career. Once in, there you are. You burst out of the containers of being a consultant. Exactly. You know, now I'm a, a tech entrepreneur. Right. So, you know, just like a lot of the people, you know, say, to the moon, you're going to the moon with Luna. Hey, that's the goal. That is the goal. Rashad, how will listeners find you? I'll, I'll make sure we put all this in the show notes, but any good guidance there? Yeah, so there are three ways. One is I'm on Twitter at Rashad, so you can find me there. My email is pretty simple. It's Rashad at gmail.com. If you notice, it's an early adopter with at Rashad on Twitter and Rashad at Gmail. Yes, that's impressive. But I think the people will find most interesting is that they go to rashad.substack.com and you're going to be linking to one of the articles. It has 98 pieces, each five to six minutes of reading, including one on how you manage your career and everything from how to lead and what dignity means and a whole bunch of stuff. And it's read by 25,000 people, including lots of students and 500 CEOs. So those may be interesting. And that's rashad.substack.com. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And thanks to everyone else for listening in. And don't forget to stay fresh. 